Welcome to the Generation AI podcast, where we delve into the thrilling and often unpredictable world of severe weather. Today, we have a, a guest that uh, embodies the spirit of adventure, curiosity, resilience, and service. He's a storm chaser, a U.S. Army veteran, and a registered nurse practitioner. You can follow her on Twitter at, at Tornado Pagey. That's Pagey with two Ys. You can ask her why. Uh, and so it's, it's a privilege to have you on the show, Pete. Uh, I'm curious to know, how does it look? Like, so you served in the U.S. Army. Then you went into, like, this really high-pressure world of healthcare. And now you're, you're chasing severe weather. And I know lots of times storm chasers turn into the first responders and they end up helping a lot of people along the way. Is that your experience or just what's it like for you to be a storm chaser? So um, with the Army, I was in the Army National Guard. So um, that's kind of how I put myself through school. And um, I went to nursing school first and I was in, I've been a nurse since 2017, I believe. Can you tell about your background in the National Guard? How that has helped you as a storm chaser? So, um, kind of let me get used to being out in the field and everything. Like, like I don't have to, I don't have to be in a hotel or anything like that. I was out in the field a lot in the National Guard, so kind of helped me living, oh, like roughing it. <laughs> so, I guess yeah. that's all. And it's helped me be like more resilient, and um, you know, I, when things get tough, you just got to keep going. Yeah, that sounds. I mean, that's that's exactly what the storm chaser motif needs. That keeping going all the time, because it's like a nonstop grind to find the next storm. Yes, for sure, for sure. So I'm curious to know. Um, What's your, what's your most, if you were to be describing like, okay, so here are a bunch of kids and they're in school and they're thinking about what their future is going to be. And one of them wants to be a meteorologist. Why would they choose to be a meteorologist? Or like, what would you say to them as far as storm chase, from a storm chaser perspective, why do you love meteorology? So... I love meteorology. I don't know. I feel like you're just born with it, the love for weather. I, I mean, at least that from talking to other people, I just feel like you're just curious about it. Now, for meteorology, if, if someone in school wanted to be like a meteorologist, um, unfortunately, a lot of the times it's really hard to do that and also storm chase because a lot of the times you're covering the weather um, that you want to chase so it's really hard to become a field meteorologist like so um if you want to be like a studio meteorologist uh, you would have to do like storm chasing on on weekends or you know kind of like i do but yeah that is challenging so it's like you have to be that's why so many people are trying to be centrally located so hot because it's right there in the middle Awesome. So, um, I, I saw there's like there's like a fantastic. You've done a great job with your Twitter, and I love looking through that. Also on your YouTube account. Um, what what as far as data in the field? Like, what do you use 
that generates data or that takes in data that keeps you safe while you're chasing? So I use um, a multitude of things. Um, for technology-wise, I have two phones, I have a hotspot, and then I have an iPad. Um, nice. That's about it. And then, like, my camera and stuff. So uh, for, do, like, figuring out things, I use Radar Scope and Radar Omega. A lot of people pick one or the other, but I like to use both because I think they have two um, – they are different, like, feature-wise. Mm -hmm. And then I also use Sat Squatch, which is how it helps me um, look at satellite, mm. um, like live satellite. That's one of my favorites. And then also, um, a lot of the times I use the storm prediction centers. Um, actually, every time I use the meso analysis meso analysis page. The um, it's like an hourly mm -hmm. meso analysis page that I use. I use that pretty frequently on the day of chasing. Then. Um, I use for for um, models, cam models. I use Pivotal Weather, which I use that up, like up until the chase night usually. And sometimes I'll peek at it during the chase, but I, usually I just um, focus on the meso analysis part. That's mm -hmm. the, everyone does it a little bit different, but <laughs> yeah, I've actually it actually sounds a lot like what mo most of the other people I've talked to say they use. I've never. heard People using both radar scope and radar omega, though that's kind of cool. Yeah. So my reasoning behind that is, I mean, I don't know if it's because I'm like technologically behind or whatever, but with radar scope, I think you can um, zoom in pretty well. You can see like spotter network dots. You can see. I think it has a clearer picture of the radar. Um, you can see things a little bit better, in my opinion. And then on radar omega. I like that because you can see where boundaries are sitting. You can see where like the high and low pressures are sitting. You can um, you can see like pretty visually well like the dew points, the temperature versus the dew point. So I like that. It's kind of a better visual thing for me. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. That's, how, that's what I do. So where are you located? Like, what's your chase area? So I. I'm located in the middle of nowhere in West Central Pennsylvania. That's not a lot goes on there. Uh, not a lot of weather goes on there. So I, a lot of the times, have to leave the area. Um, vacation. I get, I get a lot of PTO with my job. And then on weekends, every weekend, I go. It's like I get out of work at 2 p.m. on Fridays, and I'm out. <laughs> so I kind of go all over the place. What's the furthest you've gone? Um, I've gone to New Mexico. I spent a lot of time in New Mexico in May. I feel like a lot of people spent a lot of time in New Mexico in May. Yes. And interestingly, by choice. Uh, yes, for sure. I know. I never thought I'd be spending so much time in Clovis. <laughs> I know. I've been in Clovis. And Clovis is like, you're like, wait, this is a town? <laughs> yeah, I know. No offense yeah. to but, I mean, it is in the middle of absolutely nowhere. And uh, isn't there one called uh, called Truth or Consequences? Uh, you know what? I have seen that. I've never been there, though. <laughs> the whole town is based, like, on this jail theme, which is a really weird theme for us, for a town. But, yeah. Oh, wow. I'm going to have to I'm gonna have to check that out. I've never, I've never even heard of it. So, And I spent a lot of time out there. 
Um, so when you're a registered nurse, right? Yeah, I'm a nurse practitioner. I went uh, I went back to school after I was a registered nurse, so um, like for my master's degree. So very cool. And so have you ever have you gotten the opportunity to apply uh, any of your medical expertise in the field? Actually, no, I haven't. I have not. But um, other than <laughs> giving people some band aids, you know. But no, I haven't. I have not actually yet. I would like to use that opportunity. It seems like everywhere I've chased this year hasn't been in like really populated areas where things got hit or anything, which is very fortunate. I've seen just tornadoes out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, be willing. I think everybody should, you know, at least get a background if they are storm chasing. Because you're on the road, you're driving, you could come on a car crash, you could, you know, come on someone having a medical emergency on the side of the road even, let alone storm chasing and, you know, coming upon areas that have been hit hard. I mean, just having a little bit, I mean, that's kind of like my plug in that area where, you know, get CPR trained, basic first aid, anything like that. Yeah, and for, for the... For the listeners that may not know this, it's often people like Paige, first responders in tornadoes. And uh, for example, I know that like Reed Terror was in three to five Oklahoma and was able to get people to safety. And uh, also the rolling torque. Uh, there was a chaser group that. I heard they were about 30 to 45 seconds from that 20. That was a really big one. So, yeah, definitely. Rolling Fork. I, I mean, I saw it took so long for first responders to get to the town and storm chasers were right there. So I think a lot of people ended up um, staying and helping. That was a perfect example. Yeah, that, and not like, I, th- I think that you're correct. I think people should be more, more trained in the medical areas, because I was, I was on a, I was on a Twitter space uh, just the other day with some, uh, I'll leave them nameless, but um, there was a lot of uh, discussion about like you know the hype around storm chasing, how it's a super exciting when you see your first tornado and what, and people when people post and they're like, right, it's awesome, it's huge, and then they forget the fact that it could be like murdering tons of people right then and they don't realize that they're kind of celebrating this disastrous moment. So it, for storm chasers, it's like a delicate balance between enjoying the chase and also it, you have to flip the switch. At some point you become concerned for the people because you see, and, and I've been on a chase where this happened because we, like we were, we were in Round Rock for the, for a tornado that went through um, right like La Frontera, which is like at the intersection of Highway 1, uh, Highway I-35, or not Highway I-35, Highway 45 and uh, 35. And that was crazy because we experienced seeing the tornado hit the ground, go through this bank, shred it, and then go through a PetSmart. And luckily it's recycled over a neighborhood and then pitched down again. But there was that moment where we had to flip and be like, uh-oh, 
Okay, how are we gonna help other people that are hurt right now? Should we be looking for that? Where are they? And so, yeah, I, I have a huge amount of respect for, especially people like you who actually have the training and you're in the field and they're doing it. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I like to, so there's like a lot of debate on this because some people are saying, you know, don't go into areas where there's, you know, down power lines and all this stuff, uh, you know, all the dangers that happen whenever there is destruction and people say, you know, don't, if you don't know what you're doing, don't go in there, which I agree with, but also there's things that you can do. You can, you can go there, you can call for help, you can call 911, you can, you know, if someone needs to sit in your car because they just lost their house, like there's things you can do that while staying out of the way, if you have no medical training and, you know, there, I, I think there's a, a place for everybody that instead of just driving away and saying, you know, you know, screw you guys. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think that the Rolling Fork one, didn't they end up putting people that were wounded in their chamber? Driving yeah, them? driving them to the hospital. I mean, that's so important. That was awesome. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, we're like the first ones there because, you know, most most people are hunkering down. And if you're in these rural communities, I mean, it just being out in like the Texas Panhandle or, you know, New Mexico, there's nothing. So where are you going to get first responders? Probably from the city, you know, maybe little volunteer fire companies, those kind of things. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you can get yourself trained on anything, you might be of help to somebody. That is awesome. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back. Yeah, I've got too, way too many papers in my hand now. Because um, for this next part, I'm really interested to know what, because with your experience in the field, um, given the state of AI, which is, I mean, AI is expanding into many different industries. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but we need to know how, like, how are we going to use it to um, effectively uh, predict tornadoes and also any severe weather, but also, like, prescriptively, which is like before it even needs to happen, how are we going to get the resources to the locations that have the highest likelihood of storms? So if you want, I can I can explain a little bit of what, um, what AI is being used for right now. And then, um, then I can give you an opportunity to ask any questions that you have that, that so the episodes are 60 minutes long. And so the first 30 minutes will be a weather person, and the last 30 minutes will be a AI person. Gotcha. Okay. And so tomorrow I have an interview with um, this, you may not have heard of this person, but Thomas Vandal. And he, he works for, he used to work for NASA, but he started his own company called Zeus AI. Oh. Yeah. Pretty cool. 
And he basically is using AI to predict using topography and existing radar with super enhancement of images. Wow. For localized radar. That is so cool. Because I have a perfect example of how that would be great. Awesome. Why don't we start with that? So, Paige, we are going to be interviewing Thomas Vandal from Zeus AI. And we're all curious, what areas do you think could be used that would benefit storm chasers like yourself in the field? Um, so you were describing um, kind of what he does with topography and predicting where storms could form. And I have a perfect example of how that could help. Something that I've actually learned this year since I've been chasing kind of all over the place. So there's um, three different areas, I think maybe a little bit more in um, Colorado and um, like the Denver vorticity zone. I don't know exactly what all they're called, but and I can't really look them up right now, but so there's like different areas where things form, where tornadoes form that aren't really on computer generated models. There's three different zones where tornadoes usually form there coming off of the Rocky Mountains. And um, one of them, for an example, near the Denver airport, um, the storms usually are really tiny coming off of the mountains and then they just explode due to the topography. So I think that would be really interesting to have because the, the models, the computer models, the weather models don't really pick up on that a lot. It's kind of just hmm. you have to go after whatever little rain shower you see coming off the mountains because you never know if it's going to just explode. That's interesting. So these random, are they called westerly, westerlies coming off the mountains? Yeah. Yeah. So, I think. Maybe. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I think I'm, I'm still learning about all the, the um, areas of the, like, the different zones due to the mountains and uh, elevation. It's, it's all, that's brand new to me because this was my first time actually being in Colorado, and I actually saw it happen. So I just haven't really had time to uh, watch yet. Yeah. So that would be interesting, applying AI to... Uh, determine whether or not a storm coming off of the Rocky Mountains would be a tornadic storm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and I'll definitely bring that up whenever we talk tomorrow. Uh, as a storm chaser, I know you, we talked about you using radar scope and radar omega. Um, what image, do you have a dash cam? a dash cam i'm a gopro um i'm actually about to buy a uh camcorder as well nice yeah because something i'm really interested to, to talk to the ai side of uh, the fence on this about is would it, would it wouldn't it be cool if we could like integrate the webcam feeds from say um, maybe seven or eight chasers that are on one storm and use the images from those feeds to generate a model telling each individual chaser where to go? Yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, it would be terrible for chaser convergence, but 
then everybody would be on the storms. But yeah, that that definitely would be really interesting. And can you elaborate? What do you mean by what do you mean by terrible for chaser conversions? Chaser conversions. So um, everybody would be in the same area, and a lot of the times it get, kind of gets congested, especially if you're in these little small towns where. You have, there's like stoplights or anything. You have to stop at stop signs, and there's just a lot of people. And these little towns can't take a lot of volume. So whenever all the chasers there are in one area, then it kind of gets stuffed up. Yeah, can just I can see what you mean. Yes. Yeah, that's one thing that actually AI could be pretty useful for um, in terms of spreading chasers out. It could distribute chasers as well as help them to know where to go like you could say prevent that that would be great <laughs> yeah <laughs> that is a that's a big piece of that that i hadn't considered yeah uh i've i've been a part of many conga lines as they call them this year <laughs> <laughs> yes i have seen the i've seen the uh Twitter feeds of several of the people that were stuck in those lines. Yes, yeah, you can see um, on radar scope, whenever it's like a high-end day, you can pull up the spotter network dots and just see everybody just like <laughs> right in one area. Everybody in a line, driving down the interstate. <laughs> Frantically trying to be the first one into the storm. Yes. <laughs> okay. So... I'll lay up this question for you. Um, so I do think we should address a potential elephant in the room. <laughs> and, oh, boy. Yeah. And I apologize if this surprises any of our listeners, especially if it causes them to subscribe to this podcast. Um, do you remember a few days ago when Elon Musk put the rate limit on Twitter? Yeah, that fascinated me. I'm like a complete nerd for that, and I was all over it, watching what people were doing, and it was so, it was that so was weird. awful, and it made me subscribe to Twitter Blue. Yeah. <laughs> Instantly, I was like, oh, oh, heck no. <laughs> yeah, and it, I noticed a lot of people went to WX Social. Oh, yes, yes, that is wonderful. Um, Adam, I don't know him, but I am absolutely fascinated by the fact that he was like 14 years old whenever he came up with this idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Insane. I just talked to him last night. He is some, he's a, he's savant. I mean, who in the world could make that happen? I have no idea. That is wild. And, um... I mean, he's so young, and I, whenever I was his age, I mean, I said on Twitter, I was playing with Barbies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I was his age, I had a giant fish tank in my room, and that was all I cared about. So, yeah, your giant fish tank. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can understand why, why Elon Musk did what he did from, from a business standpoint. Um there are a lot of valid reasons for it, and I can see both sides. Uh, and because I don't want to alienate an entire group of people, I won't take a side on it. But um, I, I do think it's a, something that needs to be discussed because 
it was immediately apparent how dependent the weather community is on Twitter for their data. Yes. Yes. I spend most of my time on Twitter, and that's how I get out information. That's how I, uh, I mean, if you are, say you're chasing, and you're like, I don't know, an hour from this storm, and you're looking at the radar, it looks good on the radar, and someone takes a picture of it and posts it on Twitter, and you can see, like, from radar scope, like, who's who's where, their position and everything, you can tell, you know, wow, is this, is this worth the drive, or should I wait here? Um, I, I mean, I've used that in my decision-making before. Yeah. So have I. <laughs> <laughs> what I didn't know about Adam is that he also has a AI startup. Yeah, and it wow. it is focused on using um, deep learning to predict tornadoes. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've seen, like, different, like, video games pop up that people are doing, um, you know, with storm chasing. I think that's so cool. Mm -hmm. I don't play video games, but um, if I did, I would definitely play a storm chasing game. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a plug right there. We should make Somebody out there right now who's listening to this is going to go make a storm chasing video game and they're going to have to cite that it was Paige that came up with this idea. <laughs> no, I don't think it was me. <laughs> there's definitely storm chasing video games out there. Um, I think there's one like called like Twisted or something. I don't uh, know. I don't play it, but. I think I heard of that, actually. Yeah, that's, I feel like that would be just completely swamped by storm chasers if it was like a really good, high-quality video game <laughs> that just came out in the off-season especially. Yeah, it sounds like it would be super popular. Can you ex just go through a day of chasing with us? Like, what? what's a day of chasing look like? So, um, I've... I've if you look at, I'm not an SPC chaser, like I take into account the SPC, which is the Storm Prediction Center for people who don't know. Um, I take into account what they say, obviously, because they're, you know, the National Weather Service. <laughs> um, I do take into account what they say. I look and see, you know, oh, there's a, a risk on day six or day four. got to keep my, my eyes open for that. And especially if it's if it's like whenever I have off work then I'm like oh you know I can plan my day around that <laughs> so um I start looking probably like a week out and then as the days go on the models start to come in agreement most of the time sometimes they don't but when they start to come in agreement then you know you can kind of figure out oh well this is this is where I'm going to be headed, probably. <laughs> and it can and, change. <laughs> like I said, I don't, I don't really look at the models a lot the day of. Maybe like really early in the morning, um, but I rely on more of like the meso analysis and satellite the day of pacing. And I've kind of come into that a lot more this year, um, and it's it's gotten me results so I keep doing it so um, 
looking at there's like a cheat code it's it's called the cheat code if you're a believer in the cheat code mm-hmm. um, right i like the sound of that hitting 3k on the um, wait you broke up a little bit say it again oh i'm sorry hold on let me pull it up really quick oh are you driving though <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Paige is of course parked. <laughs> yes. She's parked. Par- she's totally at a stoplight right now. Absolutely at a stoplight. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, if you go to the meso analysis page, and you go to which is the operational wrap model, if you go there and you go to the multi-parameter fields, then you go to the SFC vorticity slash 3K, that is the cheat code. <laughs> That's a complicated... So it doesn't work all the time. It does not, but... But, I mean, you, you saw 15 tornadoes this year, so, I mean, it, it seems to work. Is... Also, I don't know if you um, are... Do you know what NATO cast is? I've heard of it, yes. Okay, so I, I love NATO cast. I, I think it is very accurate a lot of the time. So I do, I check NATO cast pretty frequently. I mean, it only updates every like two to four hours, but um, I do take into account what NATO cast has to say nice. as well. <laughs> so so that, that's kind of another thing that I use. NATO cast, and that's N A D O C A S T. Yes, it's kind of the. Um, I, I, it's been described to me before that it's some kind of computer-generated model that takes into account all of the other models. Mm. I mean, I might be wrong, but that's that was how it was explained to me. So it's kind of like a. That's so it would be called an ensemble model. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It, it just kind of um, takes into account all of the different models up for that day and plugs it in and spits out some kind of map that tells you where the percentage of tornadoes are going to be that day. <laughs> That's cool. Yes. So here's a question that is, I, I, I'm really excited to be asking this question because I think this is probably one of the most relevant questions that we have to ask and so for it I'm gonna so the question I'm curious to know your opinion on is how do you think I know there's two schools of thought here but how do you think tornadoes should be rated because we have the the enhanced Vegeta scale uh-huh. it's based on damage done to structures and it's usually yes. retroactive. Um, I definitely think it is lacking. Um, I mean, we've obviously come a long way. So what do you think as far as the EF scale? Should tornadoes, how, how should we rate them? Should we rate them based on damage done? Because if we do that, aren't we kind of biasing all of our predictions? Like, because the way I look at it, I'm a data analyst. And the way I look at it, if you if you have a data set, and the data is skewed in one direction, it's considered a biased data set, and it's not really usable for for predictive purposes because it's going to predict biased results. 
and I, um, I, I wonder sometimes if things like like tornadoes, if we are biasing our um, predictions based on where populated areas are versus like, is it a bigger tornado just because it went through a downtown versus a field? agree with you um i think it's very flawed and i i never really understood this the more i started learning about weather um you know yeah a tornado can be big and not be as destructive as a small tornado just because of like wind speed and everything um just depends on like how how damaging it is or how but i mean going off of like structurally things just seeing the structures in these areas some of them that are getting hit by tornadoes um you know you would never i mean a lot of it couldn't withstand anything so and then you have to look at the houses that were built like 100 years ago or 200 years ago or whenever they started building houses and yeah you have to think like were things put together the way that they're put together now or where they built bolted in in certain ways. So I, I just feel like there's a lot of questions and flaws. Now, what one thing I feel like could be like very useful is being out there whenever, um, the, the, the Dow's, the Doppler on wheels. I think that is a great thing because they're up and close. They're up close to the storms. They're not suspended in the air. There are, um, you know, it, there's a lot of radar holes in the country, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are in these rural areas. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't see, I mean, when you have a radar hole, the radar is so far away from where you're trying to look at a storm, like, it's, it's very hard to be accurate. And it's so, looking super high up. If it's far away, it's only able to see, like, way up high. Exactly. And I mean, you can, even when you're using like radar scope and trying to chase storms and then you come upon a radar for a whole year, like, oh, well, I better just watch the sky because. <laughs> yep. So, I I heard last um, night about this, um, that, that in, I believe it was Oklahoma, there's, there are some private radars that aren't even properly maintained because they're like owned by the Native American tribes and the Native American tribes disagree with the governor right now and so they're not allowing them to use the radar and there's a lot of disagreement. I thought that was a fascinating Oh wow, that's, that's really interesting. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, and so like private radars exist but we just don't know like we, we don't have access to them and sometimes uh-huh. It's almost better to go to weather underground. <laughs> underground radar. I mean, have you been on Weather Underground, the website? No. Oh, you should look that up. And Wendy.com. Those are both really great. Yeah, you'll have to send me those links. Yeah. I, I didn't know about that. I will send them to you. Um, I've just personally seen, like, the Doppler on wheels out and about. So I, I always thought that was pretty interesting. I remember last year, I think it was last year or the year before, there was a, um, a big blizzard that happened and like a snow squall warning went out and everything, but you couldn't really see it on the radar at all. It didn't look like anything. And there was a giant 
pile up on the highway, like 30 car, 30 plus cars, something like that, because there was no radar coverage. Mm. That's... So this snowfall warning didn't go out in a timely manner. I think that's what it was. Don't quote me on that. But yeah, um, yeah I just remember that this pileup happened and there's no radar coverage up in northeastern Pennsylvania. That's fascinating. I think that's something that um, Zeus AI, I think that's something they do work on is hyper-localized radar. And I'm not sure if they if they have a way to um, do it as for areas with low radar coverage, that's a, that's a that's a very interesting question. Whether yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Like just areas that have radar, or if it's can we super enhance images of like really really poor radar for certain areas that barely have any. Yeah, like an extension maybe. Mm-hmm. That'd very be interesting. Fascinating. I guess the last question I have for you, uh, officially, <laughs> is like, so what do you think about um, AI in general? In general, what's your what's what is your stance on what what we should and should not be doing in terms of ethical use of AI? Yep. Huh. Well. First of all, do you under, do you? I mean, I don't want like uh, <laughs> like robots walking among us. Yeah. There's movies about that. <laughs> yep. So we don't want that. Well, what would it look like in a utopian future if you were? Because one of the big focuses I want this podcast to have is hope uh-huh. because I think a lot of times when people are talking about AI they envision Skynet and they envision or like you know from the 80s and they don't consider the the beneficial use cases yeah they just think of like worst case scenario uh-huh so what we've been so far in the AI space, what we've done has kind of focused on, like what, what, what you know of as AI is probably chat GPT. Am I wrong? I don't really understand. Have you used- Maybe I'm not hearing you right, I don't know. Have you used chat GPT? No. Oh, uh, okay. So- <laughs> So ChatGPT is what most people are going crazy about right now in the AI world because it can talk like humans as far as like, yeah, it, it, it's a chatbot, but it's, we've had chatbots around for years, but people just haven't really known that they were AI yeah, driven. I knew about, uh, like, do you remember like, like Microsoft, was it Microsoft Sam or something? <laughs> Yeah, it got super racist all of a sudden, and they had to shut it down. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's. A, I think I remember talking to that whenever we were like kids. Yep, I have fond memories. Um, <laughs> before it died, and now we have ChatGPT, which is honestly better, way better. Is that on like Snapchat? 
Uh, no. Although but there's a chat bot on Snapchat now. Yeah, there. Everyone's starting to use GPT models, and uh, it's because it's so reactive. It responds to exactly what you say to it, and it uh -huh. remembers context in the conversation. So it's pretty amazing. Um, but what it doesn't do is tell the truth all the time because it's not programmed to tell the truth. It's programmed to tell you what you want to hear next. Oh, that's, that's creepy. A little bit. And yet I use it every day. So, um, like it can, yeah. Um, why don't I do a live demo? This is going to be fun. Okay, cool. So I'm going to open up ChatGPT. And is this like an app or is it on the computer or? It's both. So there's an app for it and it also, it has a website. Oh, neat. So give me an example of a weather related question that you think would be difficult to answer. we ever have another outbreak like the Pennsylvania 1985 May 31st outbreak. Okay, just a second. Will we ever have an outbreak like the Pennsylvania 1985 May 31st outbreak? Uh, it's difficult because I'm on a call. I have to actually type it. So I'm just saying, will we ever have a tornado outbreak like like that? Or I'll say, will we? When will? When will we have a tornado outbreak like that date? Let's see what it says. All right. So it says, as an AI. I cannot predict specific future weather events such as tornado outbreaks. These depend on numerous complex meteorological conditions. The prediction of such events is generally limited to short-term forecasts based on existing weather patterns and models. Long-term predictions, particularly those years into the future, are beyond current scientific capacity. It's important to follow local weather services for up-to-date information on potentially severe weather conditions. So, wow. yeah, if we want to get more granular, though, just, I'm just going to say, describe that event. That event. And it'll know what I'm talking about because I just told, uh, I just told it that date. It says the event that you're referring to seems to be a little mixed up. The most catastrophic tornado event of 1985 was the United States-Canada tornado outbreak that occurred on May 31st. 
but it didn't have the most violent tornadoes in history. The outbreak sequence was a major tornado outbreak that occurred in Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, and Ontario, Canada. 43 tornadoes are reported, and the event was particularly devastating because it hit areas that typically do not experience many st strong tornadoes. And then it talks about something called the super outbreak from 1974 and 1999. Can you hear me now? Yeah, it's just so weird. It's like while you're like telling like a story or talking like a long period of time, it's like. Wouldn't it be funny if I was just trolling you? That would be amazing. Yeah, so it, it basically just um, told me all about, I never knew this, about the 1985 event, but it knew 43 tornadoes are reported. Yes. And it actually gave a very detailed analysis of, of other outbreaks that are similar. So... It, it gave you super outbreaks that were similar? Yeah, from 1974. Oh, neat. Apparently, 148 occurred across 13 states in 1974. Wow. Just on April 3rd to the 4th? Good grief. Um, if, was, can you see, like, a map of them? Because I think there was one that went through um, near, like, our camp in Pennsylvania. Let's see. There was one at uh, Cook Forest State Park. I think that's where. Cook... So if you ever use Bing, Bing is, uh, uh, now they have it powered on this chatbot. Uh -huh. So now every time you use Bing, it's actually going to be, you're actually talking to a chatbot. Instead of like querying the internet, you're asking a chatbot a question. It's pretty cool. That's so interesting. Yeah. So, I think I think I gotta I gotta hop off because I have a I have an interview at three. Okay. But man, it's been really fun talking to you. Heck yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for thanks for willing to come on. Well, maybe we'll yeah, have you again. <laughs> I'm going to. Um, I'll send you that clip then. Sweet. Thank you. All right. Never stop chasing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye.